So we'll be starting what I anticipate will be a relatively short series through a short book that is an oft-neglected book. The book of 2 John is one you've probably in your own quiet times read over in the, the three minutes that it takes to read and maybe not lingered on it for long. But I know I've certainly benefited from spending some concentrated time on this, this book, this short letter again, and I think it'll be of great benefit to all of us as we dive into it today and over the next couple weeks. Before we jump in, uh, just a little bit of an orientation for where we're going to be going today. Today we're going to be looking at the first four verses. On your handout it says the first three, but we're going to be looking at the first four verses. Before that, we're going to do a general overview of this book, just very briefly. But then we're also going to spend some time as tables, asking questions and making observations. It's a critical component of our study of God's Word is to be making observations, but also to be asking good questions of the text, because if we're not asking good questions, we're not going to be getting good answers as we study God's Word. So before we jump in today, allow me to open up our time in prayer. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the blessing it is to be able to gather, to be able to laugh together, to be able to enjoy fellowship. And we thank you so much for your word that we get to study week in and week out throughout the week, even as Pastor Brett mentioned and reminded us this morning in the sermon that it is a precious thing to hold your word in our hands. And we don't take lightly all those brothers and sisters of ours in the faith that died to deliver us and preserve for us your word. And we thank you so much for the freedom we have here and now to study it. So please be with me as I lead us through this passage. Be with all of us. Give us ears to hear all that you have for us today. Again, we thank you for this time. It's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. So before we even read the book, which we'll do after an overview, just a general overview of Second John, but first some questions who has read 2 John in the last three months? Okay, a handful. So that means most of you, this may be relatively fresh information at least, which will be good. It, uh, it doesn't take long to read. It's 13 verses, which means I will inevitably say, be accidentally saying, we'll see in 2 John chapter 6 verse, oh, wait a second, no. I will be messing that up multiple times, but it's all chapter one, so we just refer to the verses, not the chapters. 13 verses, very short, a letter that even at the end of it, the Apostle John writes in verse 12, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. So we wonder why this is such a short book. It's because John was saving paper and ink and wanted to be face to face with those he was writing to. So the author is the Apostle John, the same author that wrote the uh, Gospel of John and 1 John and 3 John, and also the book of Revelation. The date for when this was written was some, sometime between 90 and 95 AD. The destination, likely the Ephesian churches, plural, so the, the church in Ephesus and those surrounding it, those nearby, it was likely meant to be a letter passed on to this church and then read by others. And then the purpose was to stir up the believers toward truth-informed love. Truth-informed love. And that's kind of going to be our theme for this whole study is truth-informed love. Love that's informed by the truth. There's false teachers that have come in and have started to, as they always do, impact the purity of the teaching of God's Word, the teaching of the apostles. 
And the church here, marked by love, a church marked by walking in the truth, is either they have been or they are tempted to welcome in these false teachers as one of their own, provide them a place to stay, fund their false teaching, and John is calling them to a truth-informed love. Not, not a love that's just come one, come all, you can teach whatever you want, but a love that is valuing and holding to the truth, which is specifically coming out when it regards how the church is to relate to false teaching. So it's to stir the believers up toward truth-informed love and instruction to not welcome and hospitably receive false teachers. So with that, let's read Second John verses 1 through 13. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but, many, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Didn't time how long that took to read, but it wasn't very long. One of, if not the shortest book in the New Testament. Again, before we jump into this morning on the first four verses, looking specifically at truth, we're going to spend some time at tables. And I want, as tables, you can work on this individually, but you can also all work together. But as tables, try to come up with at least five questions and at least five observations. Now, the means by which I'll know this has happened is that I did have a lovely slideshow and that lovely slideshow was going to be presented up on that screen, and everyone was going to be able to scan this QR code where you could put the questions in, and it'd be super helpful because we could organize them all by verses. Because we don't have that on the screen, I will be walking around with this, <laughs> and at least one of you from the table will need to scan this. I recommend as many as would like to submit questions. We'll spend probably 10 minutes or so just digging in, asking questions of the text, and making observations from the text, and then we'll come back together and start to dive in. Make sense? Either come to me or I will be walking around and y'all can scan this. All right, if you have a question, feel free to submit it real quick, but we're going to be moving on. That link will stay open, so feel free to throw questions into that as you think of them as we roll along.
Super appreciate you all taking the time to do that. Not only does this help me as I get ready to study this over the weeks to come, but this is also something that's really helpful for each of you individually to think through, even as you're getting ready to study a passage, think through how many questions can I possibly come up with on this? At first, you'll think of a couple questions, and then you'll think, okay, can I even think of more questions? But then the, the more you go, the easier those questions flow, and that helps you make careful observations as you read the text. So this is true on the whole book level as you're getting ready to do a personal Bible study on Matthew, just to breeze through the whole thing and say, okay, what are some questions I can be asking before I start digging in? Really helpful for us. And again, this was supposed to be able to be displayed, but it's not. Looking at this sheet, super helpful, and right off the bat, I want to address one that is obviously a prevalent question and one that will be helpful as we dive in. The elect lady. Who is the elder and the elect lady? So a couple of different perspectives on this, and this is where I land. The elder is in reference to John, and the elect lady is in reference to the church in Ephesus. So why the kind of not super clear, why not just say John to the church in Ephesus? Remember, we're talking later in, in the uh, first century, so we're talking 90, 95 AD, so persecution was definitely present then. So this was kind of a, almost a covert way of if this letter were to land into someone else's hand, it's not specifically identifying who it's going to, it's not putting in danger those that are in the church in Ephesus. But of course, those that would have received this letter would have absolutely understood who the elder is in reference to, who the children of this church are in reference to being members of this lady, elect lady of the church. So uh, hopefully that helps a little bit with as we roll forward, because it is important to understand that this isn't just some lady that John's writing to, but it's kind of code word for the ecclesia, the church, which is, um, in English we don't have masculine feminine words, but in Greek, ecclesia would have been feminine, so there kind of would have been this lady sense to it. So super helpful, thank you all. We'll be looking at those throughout the weeks to come. But I just wanted to get us in the, the thought process of thinking through questions so that we're ready to make careful observations as we dive into these first few verses. So, I'm not going to say any questions because I know there's plenty. There's about 40 waiting over there. So, as we jump in, I want to observe together in these first four verses nine ways that truth impacts the believer. Nine ways that truth impacts the believer. And as I started to look at these verses and notice how much truth is mentioned, truth, truth, I'm like, okay, so how many different ways does truth relate to us as believers? And I observed nine, and I was personally surprised to see that, but I think it'll be helpful for us to observe. So the first, right off the beginning, right off the bat, in the beginning, is that truth grounds the believer's love. Truth grounds the believer's love. Verse one, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth whom I love in truth. The truth of the gospel is the truth which unites believers together in love. When we love our brothers and sisters, we do not merely love in an abstract sense. This truth substantiates our care for one another. It solidifies our affection for our brothers and sisters. Our love for one another, John's love for this church, was not detached from the truth. It was grounded to, but grounded by truth. And note that this impact isn't just on John, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. This impact of truth was not limited to John. It included all the believers with John, all those that know the truth. So 
a question to reflect on. And again, as with last week, we're going to roll through this, and then those questions are throughout your handout that you'll loop back to to discuss at tables. First question is, what might it look like to not love in truth? To love in a, in a sense that's somehow detached from or separate from the truth. So that's the first impact truth has on believers, is that it grounds our love. But the second is that truth characterizes the believer's knowledge. We talked about knowledge at various times, but truth is what we know. It's the things that we, that we believe in. Also all who know the truth. So John loves in truth, and then he says all that know the truth also love them in truth. This is a simple way of saying Christians, all those who know the truth, all believers. We use the term believers all the time, but we don't actually maybe realize what we're saying when we say that. Christians are truth believers. We're truth believers. Our profession of faith is inseparable from a knowledge of the truth. We're not believers in some abstract sense. We're believers in the truth, specifically the truth of God's Word. So truth characterizes the believer's knowledge. John 8, 31 through 33. Turn with me there. John 8, 31 through 33. Again, this is also John writing as he's recording the words that Jesus says in John 8, 31 through 33. Would someone be willing to read those three verses nice and loud for us? Thank you. So if you abide in my word, Jesus says, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So knowing the truth is fundamental to abiding in the word, being true disciples of Christ. Those who know the truth are the same as those who love the church that John's writing to, the believers that John's writing to. Our faith is not detached from truth. Our, our faith entails not a turning off of the minds, but a, a focus of our minds towards Christ. Knowledge is an important ingredient to growth as a believer. You cannot believe something that you do not know. This seems obvious, but we're, if we're believers, we need to know what we're believing, and specifically we need to know who we're believing. So knowledge is to characterize or truth is to characterize the believer's knowledge. That's another thing we see in verse 1. So question, since truth is what we know slash believe as Christians, how does this impact our desire to grow in the knowledge of Christ? Or how should this impact our desire to grow in the knowledge of Christ? Third way that truth impacts our lives as believers is that truth fuels the believer's love. It fuels the believer's love. In verse 2, again, truth appears. Whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth. Because of the truth. The, the love the believers have for the church, other believers, that John is writing to is on account of, because of, the truth. God's word, the truth, fuels and motivates our love for others. 
The reason that they love is because they have the truth. Now, when we say that they love the church, they love the, the elect lady that John's writing to, we need to realize that the church is not a building. The church is people. The church is the people of God. The church is our brothers and sisters in Christ. So when we say we need to be loving the church, we're not talking about loving a 501c3 organization with tax benefits. We're talking about loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what John is referring to here. And the reason that we love our brothers and sisters is because of the truth. It's the truth that fuels our love for our brothers and sisters because as we know the truth, the truth of the gospel, we're united to our brothers and sisters in love. It's a really tremendous dynamic because it means as we grow in our understanding of the truth, so too will we grow, should we grow, in our love for our brothers and sisters. So a personal reflection then is, do you love the church? Really ask yourself, do you love God's people? If not, why not? And what steps could you take to grow in your love for Christ's body? Fourthly, truth dwells within the believer. Truth dwells within the believer. Verse two, because of the truth, then there's two descriptions of that truth. The truth that dwells, sorry, that abides in us and will be with us forever. The first is that this truth abides in us. So fourth, truth dwells within the believer. When we know the truth, we can appropriately say that truth dwells in us. There's a couple senses in which this is the case, but there's one that I'd like to especially highlight. First is John 17, 17, we're sanctified by the word. Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So we're sanctified in the truth. John, uh, sorry, James 1.21 speaks of receiving the implanted word, implying the truth is internalized. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But I want to highlight something else that I think is really key as we think about the fact that the truth abides in us or dwells in us. And that is to think that Jesus is the truth. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But later on in that same chapter, John 14, turn with me there. John 14, verses 15 through 17. I want to point out something really cool. And it's probably worth writing even in the margins of your Bibles in Second John, this connection. So John 14, verses 15 through 17, as it relates to Second John, John 2. Second John 2, kind of keep your finger in both places. Because of the truth that abides in us, currently abides in us, and will be with us forever. Written 90, 95 AD, Jesus has already ascended into heaven. John... Gospel of John, account of Jesus' life, his words to the disciples in John 14, 15 through 17. John 14, 15 through 17 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, which the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
So see the connection here that in Jesus' life, he's telling his disciples, the spirit of truth dwells with you because God incarnate is with them. But he will dwell in you, forward-looking to Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit indwells the apostles and the believers. Then we can see at that time period, 2 John, which is still the same time frame we're existing in, waiting for Christ's return. 2 John verse 2, because of the truth that abides in us currently and will be with us forever. So in the same way that Jesus was saying, right now you have the spirit of truth with you, with me bodily, and he will be in you. John is later writing and saying, that spirit of truth is abiding in you and will be with you forever. So even in this verse, in 2 John, verse 2, there's this forward-looking hope to when we will be abiding with truth in the same way that the disciples were abiding with truth when they walked the earth with Jesus. I just found this connection so exciting to realize that it's, it's pointing to Christ and a reality of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. So a jam-packed verse in 2 John, verse 2. So that's the fact that the truth abides in us, but also, fifthly, as we look at the truth and the impacts that the truth has on us believers. Fifthly, truth endures forever with the believer. The truth abides in us and will be with us forever. The promise that the disciples had received is essentially reversed for us. We currently have the spirit of truth indwelling us, but one day we will be with the truth again even as the disciples walked with him. So, we will be forever with the truth. The spirit of truth is in us. And he's directly referred to as the helper in John. In, in the gospel of John, that is. It's the helper, the spirit of truth. And specifically, what the helper is doing, again, keeping your finger there in John 14. In John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So as we look at this letter of John, we're realizing all these themes of love and of truth, and we see the same thing in the Gospels, that obedience and love, keeping the commandment to love the Lord, is something that's fulfilled by the spirit of truth abiding in us. And we will be, again, abiding with that truth, Jesus, forever. So the connection between truth and love is a constant biblical theme. You can't try and separate truth from love. Sixth is that truth brings blessing to the believer. Truth brings blessing to the believer. There's a kind of standard greeting in verse 3 of 2 John. Grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. And what's going to be the the channel, the conduit by which grace, mercy, and peace are with us? It's in truth and love. In truth and love. Truth is the avenue for God's blessing, along with um, love, of course. But grace, mercy, and peace are said to be with us. They will be with us in truth and love. Along with love, these blessings from God will be poured out on us and remain with us in truth. So question to reflect on this verse. How does verse 3 produce gratitude to God? Multiple answers to that question. And why is John's confidence encouraging as we think about God's pouring out of grace and mercy and peace in our lives? 
His confidence in verse three, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. It's not only a wish that these things would be true for believers. These are, these are things that will be with the believer. It's something that's confidently assured for us. Seventh, truth provides the pathway that believers walk. The pathway that believers walk. John 14, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. Now, for any of you that went on the Wade, you're freshly considering what it means when we talk about paths and the importance of having a path to follow. As we all know, there's portions of the journey that don't have a path when you're on the Wade, but significant portion of the journey, we do have a path that we're going on. The challenge is, it's dark, and there's multiple paths, and it's very easy to get lost. In a similar sense, Scripture speaks of paths and walking properly with regularity. This is a common theme in Scripture, and it's a theme that they all would have understood much more intimately than us because we don't think of paths every day because we're often going from the car to a sidewalk to a sidewalk to a car. Not a whole lot of time spent wandering through the woods on a path, but in that day, if you were on the wrong path, you would end up in the wrong destination. You didn't have a GPS that would be correcting you on your course. So walking the right path was important, and so too in a spiritual sense. John highlights that when he says they were walking in the truth, that pathway marked out for believers. The individual members of the church, the some of your children of this elect lady, the church, were walking aligned with what is true, even so much so that they had a reputation for that. John found them in some context outside of the local church gathering, saw this believer from the church in Ephesus and is encouraged by the fact that, wow, they're doing the right thing. They're, they're walking the path of truth, which highlights the fact that, yes, gathering on Sunday together is important, but it is a very, very small fraction of living the whole Christian life in a way that is walking according to the truth, walking in truth. So obviously, personal reflection there is, is your walk a walk of truth outside of this building, outside of this gathering, outside of our times together, as much as it is here when we gather and publicly worship, corporately worship. So why is walking in the truth at times difficult, and how might someone be tempted to stray from walking in the truth? Consider that question and be prepared to talk about it at your table. And eighth, truth brings joy. Truth brings joy to the believer's disciplers and mentors when lived out, when lived out. So verse four says, John speaking, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. So this walking in the truth produced for John great joy when he saw other believers walking in that truth. The joy that John experienced in seeing young believers walking in the truth is experienced by all spiritual leaders, church leaders, mentors, disciplers, missionaries, pastors, anyone that has had any spiritual investment in your life. As they see you walking in the truth, that brings them great joy. That's an impact that it has on the believer's life. Not necessarily your own immediate life, but on the life of believers around you. So application is that even just by walking in the truth, by obeying the Lord, we are being an encouragement to the body of Christ. That's another way that truth impacts us as believers. 
So why do you think it is such a joy for John to find members of this church walking in the truth? What does this teach us about how we can encourage and bring joy to those who have spiritually invested in our growth? And lastly, ninthly, truth demands a response. Truth demands a response of obedience from believers. Verse 4, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. This is not merely an optional thing, take it or leave it, whether or not you want to walk in the truth, but we're commanded to walk in the truth. Lastly, we need to realize that truth is not a passive reality, but something that we're actually commanded to walk in. This is, again, reflecting back on what we read in 1 John, we're commanded to love the Lord. We're commanded to love others. We're going to read on because in future weeks because this isn't where it leaves off. We are commanded by the Father in this way. What we realize in verse 5, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. So we're not just talking about abstract commandments in general. Specifically, the, the truth that is to be obeyed is that we're to love one another, to be characterized by love for our brothers and sisters. So question reflecting on this is, how would you respond to someone who says that walking in truth is an optional part of the Christian life? What does walking contrary to the truth reveal about what someone believes? So wrapping up and then cutting it loose for table discussion, truth is an essential component to the Christian life. We often take it for granted, but at its core, the gospel is only good news because it's true news. If the gospel, good news, was not true news, it wouldn't be good news. This is obvious, but somehow I think we can roll along without giving appropriate consideration to the fact that it is fundamentally a matter of truth. We are to be clinging to the truth. So let us make every day a day where we grow in our grasp of the truth, application of the truth, and conformity to the truth. Again, this is providing the basis for what we'll be looking at in the rest of this book as we realize that truth is to inform our love. And that's what the church in Ephesus is being reminded of as we read this letter. So allow me to close this in prayer and then feel free to go back through and look at those discussion questions at tables and talk about them as a group for a little while. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time and we thank you for your word, your word which is to sanctify us and your word which is truth. We thank you that as you produce in us a greater conformity to Christ, you're doing so with the truth of your word and the truth of the gospel. Help us to be men and women who every day dedicate ourselves to be meditating on the truth, fixing our minds on the truth, that that would produce in us a greater and greater ability to discern truth from error, that we'd be able to be more equipped to interact with non-believing classmates or coworkers or roommates, and that in all of it we would be men and women marked by a zeal for the truth that motivates an equal and proportionally um, vibrant zeal for one another and love for one another. So help us not to be merely stowing up intellectual knowledge as we pursue a greater knowledge of the truth, but allow that to just flow into every category of our lives and that our our lives would be truth-informed in our love for you and our love for others. Be with us now as we discuss at tables and 
I ask that you just uh, richly bless this time. We love you, Lord. We lift this time up to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much. Discuss away.